All right, if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 21, and today we'll be looking at verses 18 through 22. Thank you guys for being here with us today. I know there's just a handful of us here, and I'm reminded of when we have these snow services, and there's not a lot of people in church, maybe a few online, I don't know, of when Charles Spurgeon got saved. It was a snowy day in, in England, and he, he walked into a church as a 15-year-old boy, and there was a guest preacher there because the preacher couldn't get there. There was a deacon standing up to preach, and and uh, he didn't even have anything prepared, and he just got up there and he preached, look unto the Lord and be ye saved. And Charles Spurgeon was saved that day on a snow day with a deacon preaching. Uh, so there, there could be life-changing things that take place on a snow day when there's not many people at church, maybe somebody watching online. Uh, so I hope that's the case as we look at this passage today. And I think it's a very important passage for us to look at. We're in the last week, the Passion Week of, of the life of Christ. I think it's, it's been called the week that changed everything, the week that... Uh, uh, that we look back at today, and it's changed our lives. We're here today because of what happened in that last week of the life of Christ. And as we study it, everything that we see, every event, every word that is said, I think it takes on added importance because it's the last thing Jesus will do. So every event is something that he's trying to, to make stand out. And every word that he says, it stands out. So it just takes it up a level of importance as we study this last week. And we come today to a very strange story of Jesus Cursing a fig tree. That's strange. It's weird. It's, 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 why is it there? What's he doing? And I think it, it's not just strange, but I think it's a very serious story. Because what Jesus is doing with this fig tree is showing us how he deals with hypocritical religion. How he deals with, with hypocrites. So I think this is something we all need to hear. Uh, we know that there's hypocrites in church. We know that there's, uh, hypocrites abound. It, it's all over the place. So we, we've heard of must see TV. This is must hear preaching. We all need to be warned of what Jesus does to hypocrites. So I want to read these verses to you today, verses 18 through 22. And again, I think this is something that we all need to pay attention to, a warning against hypocrisy. Uh, so I want you to pay attention to this. I want it to grab your attention sitting here today. I want it to grab the people's attention who's watching online. I may not have any competition right now. Uh, all the other churches had it at 11. The Super Bowl's at 630. Josh has this time slot. I think MacArthur starts about 2. So from 1 to 2, everybody online is watching this, right? I don't know if that's the case or not, but here we go. Uh, you guys, we, we won't ask you to stand this morning, but Matthew chapter 21, verses 18 through 22. And we'll read it together. Very short passage, only two points for you today. So Matthew 21, verse 18, we'll look at how Jesus deals with hypocrisy. It says, Now in the morning, as he returned into the city... He just left Bethany where he stayed all night with, uh, with Lazarus and Mary and Martha. So now in the morning as he returns into the city, this is either Monday or Tuesday morning of that week, it says he was hungry. And when he saw a fig tree in the way, he came to it and found nothing thereon, but leaves only. And he said unto it, Let no fruit grow on thee from henceforward forever. And presently, in that moment, from that second on, the fig tree withered away. And when the disciples saw it, they marveled. They were amazed, saying, How soon is the fig tree withered away? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Verily I say unto you, If you have faith and doubt not, you shall not only do this which is done to the fig tree, but also if you shall say unto this mountain, the mountain he's standing on, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, it shall be done. And all things whatsoever you shall ask in prayer, believing, ye shall receive. So this is how Jesus deals with hypocrisy. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. I thank you for the opportunity you've given uh, me to preach it today. And I know it's a, 
strange day. Uh, God, we're here on a snow day. We're meeting at a different time. Well, we got a few, a handful of people here with us. So, God, it's, it's out of the ordinary. But, God, I know that you can take even the out of ordinary and do extraordinary things with it. And I pray that you would do that, that we would all hear this warning. And it is a warning from Jesus of the judgment that he uh, shows on hypocrisy. So that we would check our lives and say, am I like the fig tree? And see if there's hypocrisy in our own lives. And, God, I even pray that you would use this passage today to command people to have faith in your Son. And it is a command that we must obey if we'll ever be saved. So use these words, and God, we, we trust it, that you would take these words and accomplish exactly what you've set out to do. And we ask and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The number one, well, if you were to ask what was the number one complaint that the world has against the church, what would you say it is? Uh, I googled it this week. I said, what's the number one complaint against the church in America? And this is not from people in the church, this is not from pastors, this is from people on the outside. We'll call them they. What, what is the number one complaint that they have outside the church about the church? And, and there's several things that I found. I heard that we, the church asks for money too much, and, and that's, that's true in a lot of cases. You'll watch a lot of TV preachers, and, and you'll sit there and think, okay, not too bad, not too bad. And at the end, they'll have a, a number, or they'll have a, a post office box. Now send us money. So it's a constant a money grab from people. Another one, that, that, we're, that we're too judgmental, that we don't love enough, that we're too exclusive, that we don't include all the other religions, and we're too uh, exclusive, that Jesus is the only way. So these are the complaints that they have, but the number one complaint on every website that I googled was that the church is too hypocritical. They say that the church is full of hip hypocrites, and you guys have heard that. I've heard that as I invite people to church, they'll say, I can't go to church. It's full of hypocrites. Everywhere I look, it's, it's hypocrites. It's hypocrites there, and it's hypocrites here. Every church is full of hypocrites. And they, when they say that, they mean that Christians act one way on Sunday, which means they put a mask on, and I don't mean a COVID mask. <laughs> They, they put a mask on. They, they, they masquerade around with some kind of holier-than-thou, righteous uh, persona that they want to put on on Sunday morning. And then the rest of the week, they act a different way when they take their mask off. They say that we dress up and we sing and we act holy on Sundays, but then the rest of the time we act like the rest of the world. They say that we acknowledge Jesus with our words on Sunday, but we deny Him with our lifestyle. They say we quote the Bible on one issue that is our pet peeve issue, but then we ignore the Bible on all the other issues. This is the complaint that the world has against the church. And I think we ought to take it serious. I think it's something that we ought to listen to, not because they say it, because they will always have a complaint against the church. If it's not hypocrisy, it's that we're too judgmental, it's that we're too exclusive, it's that we ask for money. They will always have a complaint against the church, but we need to take hypocrisy serious because Jesus takes it serious. Jesus' strongest words were always to the hypocrites. He was easy on the, the prostitutes. He was easy on the, the tax collectors. He was easy on all the sinners that came to him, but he was harsh on hypocrites. Jesus takes hypocrisy very serious. And here in his final week, that's what he's dealing with. I said everything that, that takes place in this final week, it, it takes added importance. And, and Jesus is taking the most important things in, in this last week and he's bringing them to the forefront. And, and the one issue that he starts off in this final week is hypocrisy. 
The first two days he deals with hypocritical religion. And, and it's hypocritical religion that will ultimately put him on the cross. So he's going to deal with it. And, and the question is, how does he deal with it? And if you've been with us, we've watched him walk into Jerusalem, or ride into Jerusalem on a, on a, on a colt. And he rides into the most religious place on earth. And he rides in on the most religious time of the year. And he comes in to inspect the religion of the day, the, the custom, the condition. He's going to take the pulse. He's going to, to check the temperature of religion. He walks in again to the most religious place on the planet at the most religious time of the year. And he checks their religion. And what does he find? He finds a lot of activity, a lot of outward appearance. He finds the greatest show on earth. It's like a circus inside the temple, and he hates it. He's angry at it. We saw him last week turn over tables. He's angry. He's upset. He says it's full of hypocrisy. What's going on when he walks into the temple is nothing but hypocrisy. And he starts cleansing the temple. You saw the, the dramatic, shocking moment where he turns over the table and he runs all the religious hypocrites out. And then here, you have first the cleansing, and now the cursing of the fig tree. And this cursing of the fig tree in these five verses is a powerful, symbolic act of judgment where Jesus shows us exactly what He thinks and what He will do to hypocrites. So this, this passage here today, He's showing us how He deals with it. And we need to look at it and, and take it as a, as a warning to us all that we better not have hypocrisy in our lives or in our church because he doesn't tolerate it. He, he doesn't, he's not after an outward show. He's not after religious ceremony. So we ought to all stand up and pay attention and pray, God, don't let there be any hypocrisy in me. So ask yourselves that today as we look at this and say, am I like this fig tree? It's a hypocritical tree. And I hope we don't have a hypocritical church. So let's look at it. As Jesus confronts hypocritical religion, he condemns hypocritical religion, and he curses hypocritical religion. I'm going to give you two points today as we look at how Jesus deals with hypocrisy. And I know you came for three points. I get that. Two points will have to do you today. It's a snow day. It's better than no points. You know what they call a no-point sermon? Pointless. So, <laughs> that was an easy one, right? So two points today. I want to show you, first of all, the hypocrisy of false religion. And then I want to show you the heart of true religion. So we'll start with the hypocrisy as we look at the hypocrisy that is taking place in the, in the temple and in the false religion here. As Jesus, it says in verse 18, Now in the morning as he returned into the city, so he's got up early in the morning. He stayed all night, I said, with with. Uh, Mary and Martha and Lazarus, that says they had kind of a place by the seaside there, and he would go there and, and spend some time with them. It says that it was there in Bethany that he lodged there in verse 17. And now he gets up early the next morning, and he's going to go back to the city. And, and apparently Mary and Martha didn't feed him any breakfast. I mean, I don't know why you would think they'd have been up early with some, some eggs and some, probably not bacon, but you, you would think that they, they would have had some food there for him, and, but they didn't. He, maybe he got up too early for breakfast. I don't know. So he gets up early in the morning and he's, he's going back to the city and it says, and, and he was hungry. His belly began to growl. It's probably a two-mile walk from Bethany into Jerusalem. And as he's walking with his disciples, his, his belly starts to growl. And I, I'm going to take a sidebar on this because I think it's amazing that our God, and he is the Son of God, 
knows what it's like to be hungry. Charles Spurgeon said this, he thoroughly can sympathize with you. He says that that he has been burdened by all the burdens that you bear. It says that he has been grieved by all the, the griefs that you bear. So everything that we've been through and everything that we face, Jesus faced it down to the, to the lowest level of even having hunger pains. So as he walks, he hungers. So he starts looking for something to eat. It's like our kids when we get up too early to go somewhere and they say, where are we going to eat? We'll get something on the way. So Jesus is going to get something on the way. And what does he find? It says that, that he hungered and he looked over and he saw a fig tree in the way. So it's just passing down the road, a two-mile walk again from, from Bethany on the way to Jerusalem. And he looks over and he sees a, a fig tree. And I don't know a whole lot about fig trees, so I had to so study it this week. I, I just assumed that fig newtons grew on fig trees. Apparently they don't. So what's a fig tree? Fig trees were everywhere in Jerusalem. I mean, Israel was full of fig trees. It was a, it was a sign of blessing. It was called a, a land of figs. And these trees would grow to 20 feet tall and even be 20 feet wide that, that people would sit under them and, and find shade from the sun. And when God described Israel in the Old Testament, He described it this way. That it was a land of wheat, barley, vines, and fig trees. So everywhere you went, you would find a, a fig tree. And even Zechariah 3.10, I found this interesting, you guys may not. But it says that in the millennial reign of, of a thousand years on earth, that everybody will have their own personal fig tree. I think that's pretty cool. I get my own fig tree. So it was a land full of fig trees. So Jesus sees it, and it catches his attention. And why does it catch his attention? Watch this. It caught his attention because it was full bloom. It was green, it was growing, it had leaves all over it, it looked beautiful, it looked wonderful, so Jesus goes and he walks up to it, he came to it. From a distance, it looked great. From a distance, he'd say, that thing has leaves all over it. It has to be full of fruit, full of, of figs. And I'm going to go get me some breakfast off that tree. So, uh, and, you know, I don't know how far he was, but from a distance, it looked wonderful. It looked fruitful. So he walks closer to it, and the closer he gets, the worse it starts to look. So he inspects it. He investigates it, and he looks pulls back the branches and starts looking for fruit, figs. Looking for something to eat and he's pulling back and there's leaves everywhere. So he starts pulling back and, and looking underneath everywhere. I mean, it could be a 20 foot high tree, 20 feet wide. So he's looking all over. Disciples, you look too. Let's look all around this thing. We're getting close. We're inspecting. We're looking deep down at the tree. And he finds nothing. It says that. He came to it and he found nothing. It was empty. Barren, fruitless. It wasn't as it seemed. It was a hypocrite tree that from a distance, that tree screamed good. But the closer you got to it and the more you inspected it and started to look at it, the more you'd see it was bad. It looked great with the leaves. It put on a good show. This tree is professing fruit. It screams, good tree. But all that glitters isn't gold. And you can't judge a book by its cover. You've got to open it up and you've got to look into the book to find the reality of the book. They say that the, the proof is in the pudding, that you have to taste the pudding in order to know if it's, if it's good or not. And that's what he's doing. He's, he's inspecting it and he finds that it's, it's a dead tree. 
Well, look what he does to it. He found nothing but leaves only. And he says to it. When's the last time you talked to a tree? Tree huggers do. I don't. <laughs> you little pretty tree. They hug it. I had tree huggers watching online. They just turned me off. And he says to it, let no fruit grow on thee henceforth, henceforward forever. He spoke to it with commanding words, with, with damning words, with powerful words. And, and, he, and it, it, he killed it. I mean, this, this is, this is a, a destructive miracle. You don't see Jesus do this. All of his miracles are constructive. All of them are, are building up. All of them is, is healing blind eyes and, and deaf ears. All of his miracles are, are doing something good. And this is one of the few destructive miracles where he kills something. No more fruit for you. You'll have no more fruit forever. And he kills the tree. And the disciples were, were amazed because as soon as he said it, the tree started to die. Imagine this, that it went from a tree that you would see in the middle of summer with leaves all over it to a tree that you would see in the middle of winter where it's nothing but dead and barren and ugly. As soon as he said it, it started to die from deep down in the roots and started to die all the way up and started to wither and leaves started to fall. At the deepest level, this tree started to die. What powerful words. Immediate death. So the question we've got to ask here is, I'm telling you the story, and the question I had to ask was, what is Jesus doing here? Is he so hungry? And I heard people, I've read people say that this week, that Jesus is so hungry, and he got so frustrated because he said, oh, fruit! And then he gets there and there are none. And he gets mad and says, okay, I'll kill you. How dare you lie to me, tree? But that's not what he's doing. That's not Jesus. Jesus is teaching a lesson here. This is an, an illustration. And I want to teach you guys this today. And if you take notes, I want you to get this. Because I'm going to go just this piece by piece and tell you what he's doing here. First of all, let me give you the illustration. The tree represents Israel. The nation. God had taken in the Old Testament and chosen a people and placed them in Israel like He had taken a tree and planted it in a land that was perfect for it. And it had everything that it needed to grow and produce fruit and to be everything that the world needed it to be. This is how God intended. I'll take Israel as a nation. I'll plant them in the land. And they will be a blessing to the world there. There will be fruit come off them that the world will come and pick from. He placed them there. He gave them everything they needed. Like He would place a church in the middle of a town like West End here and say, you bear fruit so that all the people in town will be blessed by you. So Jesus comes to inspect the tree. And the leaves, I got you another one. The tree is Israel. The leaves are religious activity. Jesus came walking in and he sees great activity there. There are priests doing their work. As he walked into the temple before he turned over the tables, he saw all kinds of leaves, religious activity. There's priests doing their work. 
There's people singing psalms. There's tithes being brought. There's alms being given. There's sacrifices being made. The Old Testament is being read. They wear their outfits. They're all dressed up. They look nice. They wear big hats. Everybody's doing all this religious activity. By all appearances, it looks like religion is thriving. By all outward appearance, it looks better than ever. It's beautiful. It's attractive. It's promising. People are going to come there and say, you're offering life to us? From a distance, their religious activity looked great. But as Jesus got closer and began to inspect deep inside, he found that that wasn't the case. And I could apply this to the church. Because as Jesus inspects the church that has been planted here in Big Stone Gap, he walks through the church and he looks at it from a distance and he says, oh, they preach, oh, oh, they sing, oh, they give. There's an offering jar back there where they give money and they serve and they have meals and they have clothes and they have all this activity that goes on from the outside. The church looks great, but let me inspect deep down on the inside of the church and see if it has any real fruit. When he pulled back the branches in the temple, it was fruitless. It was empty. It was all a show. It was a masquerade. They were performing religious activity to cover for the sin deep down in their hearts. They were taking fig leaves and covering their sin. Do you know anybody else who covered their sin with fig leaves? It's exactly what Adam and Eve did when they sinned in the garden. They took fig leaves and sewed them together to cover up their nakedness before God. And that's exactly what the temple, the religious hypocrites were doing. They weren't putting on a mask. They were putting on fig leaves of religious activity to put on a show to the world. But deep down, it was nothing but hypocrisy to the max. This ought to be the most spiritually alive nation on the planet, but it was the most spiritually dead nation on the planet. And this type of hypocrisy is in churches everywhere. That they put on a good show. They go through the motions. They have preachers up with his tie on, suit on, and he stands up and he preaches. And they have people up here singing. They have instruments and people are doing all these things and having a great time. But deep down inside, what's really taking place? Who are they really? And how do you know who are they really? We'll look at that in a second. When you get deep down in the heart, do they have fruit that it's not just a show that they put on on Sunday, but it's a reality that they live every single day? There's a lot of people that come to church and they put on a show here on Sunday, here on Sunday night, here on Wednesday, and then they go to their workplace and they go to their marriages and they have their kids and they do their Saturday night stuff and it's nothing but a show here in the church. That's hypocrisy. Deep down in their lives. We might look great, but when you pull back the leaves, what's behind the songs? What's behind the sermons? What's behind the giving? He's not judging idols and paganism. He's judging right religion done in the wrong way. And this is everywhere in the American church. So the leaves are religious activity. Where we do these things to hide who we really are. Wow. It's happening in churches all over. And I pray it's not happening here. 
that we come here just to hide who we really are. So the tree is Israel, the leaves are religious activity, and the curse is divine judgment. Here he's judging, we say, is this what he does to religious hypocrites? Yeah. Here it's on the nation of Israel. On their religious system, on their temple, on their priests, on their religion, he pronounces judgment on them. And he says, you'll have no fruit from henceforth forever. And he's talking about that current generation of, of, of Israel and their, their priests and their sacrifices and, and all that they're doing. He says, you will have no fruit. Nothing will come from you. Cursed. And in about 30 years, Rome will take an axe to the whole Jewish system. And the temple will be destroyed. And it's the same thing that Jesus does to the church. It's the judgment of God on hypocrisy. You say, he doesn't do that to the church. I'm going to read you a passage. I know you guys are looking for something to, to turn to. Revelation chapter 3. You don't have to turn there, but it's a good, good passage. Where Jesus walks through his church. And what does he find? Watch this. The church at Sardis. Revelation 3 verse 1. And unto the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things saith he that hath seven spirits of God and seven stars. I know thy works, that thou hast a name that you live, but you're dead. But there's a name on the church door. There's a, a cross on the steeple. It might even be a Baptist church. You have a name that you live. You put Christ's name on the front of your church. You have a name that you're alive. But as you look deeper on the inside, you're dead. You're nothing but dead man's bones on the inside. He says, so be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. I've not found your works perfect before God. He says, remember therefore how thou hast received and heard and hold fast and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I'll come to you as a, as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I'll come upon thee. I'll come and I'll take my name away, my power away, and you'll be left fruitless as a church. You'll be left barren as a church. You'll be left withered as a church. You'll be left with nothing as a church. You may still meet. You may still have the name out there. You may still have a pastor. You may still have, have pianos and, and drums and, and guitars and offerings. And you may have everything that looks so great, but I'll take it all away where there will be no fruit for you. Every fruitless branch of Christ's church is in danger of becoming withered. How many churches in America as Christ looked at it and said, no fruit for you. You're putting on a show. You're masquerading. You're nothing but hypocrites. You're like a, a tomb, whitewashed tomb. You look great on the outside, but inside you're nothing but dead man's bones. How many churches as he looked at it and said, no fruit for you? And you wonder why churches are in the shape they're in. No fruit for you. You're cursed. You're withered. And there's churches in America that are withering away. They may look great on the outside. You drive through town and say, man, it's flourishing. But on the inside, it's dead, barren, 
There may be some churches that don't look great on the outside. You think, oh, what's happening? But you dig deep inside those churches and you, and you see fruit of honest, deep, heartfelt religion. You say, what are those like? Oh, I'm glad you asked. You guys, you guys are really paying attention. Watch, watch. We, we go from the hypocrisy of false religion and we've got to constantly be checking ourselves for fruit to say, am I a hypocrite? And you say, what's that fruit? What, what, what is real heartfelt religion look like and that, that's what he does here as we turn to the next point I, I think it's it's great the disciples marvel at what just took place how soon the fig tree withered away and, and the church again in america is withering away with lack of fruit so the disciples marvel and jesus explains what just happened and he shows them i think this is awesome what he says here he shows them what he's looking for because I started thinking about that. What, what fruit was missing? What's the, what's the fruit that he was looking for there? Well, what was it? Was it, was it character? Was, I mean, what, what was he looking for? And then immediately he connects it with, here's what I'm looking for in churches. Here's what I'm looking for in religion. They were missing it, but here's what you must have. Here's what he's looking for. Here's what he's looking for in churches. Here's what he's looking for in you. This is what Jesus is looking for. This is what he wanted when he walked into the temple. He wanted this, not what they had. And watch what it is. Here's the, the heart of true religion. If I showed you the hypocrisy of false religion, I want to show you the heart of true religion. We don't want the hypocrisy. We want the heart. Here's what we're after. Here's what we want at West End. Here's what you want in your life. Number one. And you see it there. I mean, I love how simple this is. And Jesus answered and said unto them, Verily I say unto you, underline it, highlight it. If you have faith, that's what he's looking for. The Bible says that, that when he comes, will he find faith on the earth? When he comes walking through churches, he's looking for faith. And he says, if you have faith and you doubt not. And then down in verse 22, he says, and in all things whatsoever you shall ask in prayer, believing. So, so this is the key. If you have faith and doubt not, this is the root that was missing in, in the temple. This is, this is, it, the root was bad. And if the root is bad, the tree will be bad. And the root of true religion is faith. That's it. This is what's deep down in our hearts. Their problem was unbelief. They didn't believe in Jesus. They didn't trust in Jesus. They didn't look to Jesus. They didn't love Jesus. They lacked faith. And it shows the one thing, the only thing that Jesus is looking for. That's why I said circle that. Highlight that. Put an arrow on that. I've got, I've got it underlined. You have faith. That's what he's looking for. It's not that hard. He's not looking for steeples. He's not looking for people. He's not looking for all this show that we put on on Sundays. It's just faith. That's what was missing in the Catholic Church in the 1500s. They did everything. They had everything. They had their popes with their hats. They didn't have their little pope mobile yet, but they had all this stuff. And Martin Luther looked at it all and he said, there's one thing that's missing. The one thing that makes everything right. Faith. And the, the cry of the Reformation was sola fide. By faith alone. That's what he's looking for. Being in the temple 
will not connect you to God. You, you with me on this? Being in church, while it should be a place where you can meet with God, but being in church is not your connection to God. The Pope isn't your connection to God. The pastor isn't your connection to God. A song isn't your connection to God. A, a, a praise band isn't your connection to God. Offerings aren't your connection to God. Your only connection to God is faith in Jesus Christ. That's it. And that's what he's saying. If you just have faith, ritual won't connect you to God. Routine won't connect you to God. Ministries won't connect you to God. Sermons won't connect you to God. A building won't connect you to God. The only thing that connects any of us to God is faith in His Son. Have faith if you have faith. Faith is the open hand reaching out to God. It's the open heart that loves God and receives Him. Faith is the, is the root of true religion. It has to start there. There must be faith deep down in our hearts for there to be fruit anywhere else. Good, a good root will produce good fruit. A bad root produces no fruit. The false religion, the root was bad. They had no faith. But he says, if you have faith, this is what I'm looking for. I'm looking for people of faith. I'm looking for men of faith. I'm looking for mothers and wives of faith. I'm looking for women of faith. I'm looking for children of faith. I'm looking for pastors of faith. I'm looking for a church of faith. Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what He's looking for. And if you have the faith, you'll have the fruit. If you don't have faith, you won't have fruit. This is what he's looking for. Faith. You say, what's the fruit that comes from faith? Another good question. You guys are, are really with me. He says, if you have faith and doubt not, here's what comes from it. If you have faith, here's the fruit that he's looking for. If you have faith, here's the figs. You say, what is it? You have, I'm going to give you three of them. The fruit that must be on your tree. You, you ready for this? It starts with faith, which is the root. The root's planted deep and strong in the Lord Jesus Christ. And as it's planted deep and strong, then it starts to grow and fruit starts to pop up on the tree. And what's that fruit? Number one, it's prayer. It says that there. If you, well, watch with me. If you have faith and doubt not, you, you shall not only do this which we did to the fig tree, but also you'll be able to say. There's say. That's that's prayer. And then he says in verse 22, And all things whatsoever you shall ask in prayer. The first fruit of true religion is prayer. What was the one thing that was missing when he went into the temple and turned over the tables? He went over. He went into the temple and he said, with me, pay attention. He went into the temple and he started turning over tables and he said, and you, you can go back and look at it, he said, you've made the house of prayer into a den of thieves. One thing I was looking for when I walked into this temple was people praying. And I didn't see it anywhere. Prayer is the number one fruit of faith. It's the first cry 
of salvation. The first thing you do when faith is in, placed within your heart is cry out with your mouth and ask God to save you. You pray. They say, people always do that when they, when they come walking in the aisle and they say, what, what can I say? You pray. Children are taught to pray. To be saved, we, we, we pray. We express ourselves. When we're in need, we, we pray. When we need wisdom, we pray. When we sin, we pray and, and confess our sins. When there's a problem we can't solve, we pray. The ultimate act of faith is prayer. That there's a God we can't see, but I'm taking my problems to Him anyway. It's the ultimate act of faith. And I give it to Him, and then I don't do anything. I lay it before God. I ask Him to save me. I ask Him to forgive me. I ask Him to give me wisdom. I'm, I'm taking my problems, what I can't do, and I'm giving it to God. It's the ultimate act of faith. It's the first fruit of faith. It's prayer. Prayer is our lifeline. It's our air that we breathe. It's, it breathes. it's our connection to God. And, and when Jesus isn't within arm's reach, He's always within prayer's reach. Hmm. Nothing says faith like prayer. That's what was missing in the temple. You go in there, they weren't praying, they were showing off, right? Jesus talked to them about that. When you pray, don't be like them. They stand up in the temple in the, in the, in the place where everybody can see them and they make a, a great Shakespearean show of their prayers. <laughs> Thank you that I'm not like they are. I tithe. I, I, I read the Old Testament. I'm something special. I'm praying so everybody can hear me. I'm not praying to reach out to God. I'm praying to show off. He said, I walked in the temple. That's the kind of prayer I saw. But no, 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 no. If you have faith, the fruit will be humble prayer that says, God have mercy on me, a sinner. That's what you ought to be finding in churches. A church that isn't hypocritical will pray from the heart. They'll have prayer meetings. Their prayer won't be a transition from this to that. It wants to be some kind of show where people can watch and people can hear. It'll be something that's real and deep and lasting and on your face before God, begging God for help. That's what he was looking for. Why wasn't there people in the temple saying, forgive me, help me? Instead, they were showing off for the world to see. Hypocrites. That kind of prayer is missing in hypocritical churches. You know why? Because real prayer is never a show. Jesus said when you pray, you go in your prayer closet where nobody can see you. And you do it on your own. And you don't even talk about it. You don't tell people how long you're praying, what you're praying for. You go in there and you talk to God because that's the heart of true religion. It's missing in a lot of churches. There's a lot of activity. There's a lot of programs. There's a lot of stuff being done, but there's not a lot of praying being done. It's a shame and disgrace. And this is going to get me in trouble. I don't know if anybody's watching or not. You guys ain't going to be mad at me. That churches have chosen to get rid of their prayer meetings 
and kept their Sunday morning shows where the offerings come in, where the music's loud, where everybody comes. And they said, no, 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 if we're going to get rid of anything, we're going to keep the show. We'll get rid of the prayer meeting. That's not the very picture of hypocrisy. Charles Spurgeon, somebody came and it's a good transition into the next part of this. There were people from America went to Charles Spurgeon's church and they, they walked up to him. He was very, very open. Just would let people walk up to him. And they walked up to him and they said, we want to know the secret to your success. We see what's going on here. Thousands upon thousands of people are coming and, and being saved. And what are you doing that's, that's bringing this success? And he looked at him and he said, I want you to go to the basement. <laughs> There's the engine that runs this train. They thought, all right, there's a book down there or something. So they, they go down the steps and they get down there and there's a room full of people praying. Because prayer comes with a second fruit, a promise. Look what it says. If you have faith and doubt not, then when you pray, look, look what you'll be able to do. <laughs> Look what you'll be able to get done. Look what you'll accomplish. And he gives them three things here. That big promise. You'll not only be able to do what's just happened to the fig tree. But you'll be able to say to this mountain. And he's probably standing on the Mount of, uh, Mount of Olives. That he'll teach from here in Matthew 23. He's standing upon this mountain. Before he goes into Jerusalem. He says you'll be able to say to this mountain. That we're standing on. To go into that sea. Which is the, the Dead Sea. About a mile away. And it'll be moved from here into there. The disciples are like what? This mountain? Over there? All because we pray? And then he says and I'll give you this. Look at verse 22. And on top of that, I mean, what a promise. Fig tree cursing, mountain moving, all thing doing, prayer. <laughs> Who says, and all things. I, I, I just can't fathom that. And all things. Whatsoever you ask believing, you'll get it. That's amazing. And he says you can, you can do that? You say, what does this mean? Does it mean we can actually move mountains? If we could go up there, <laughs> high knob. <laughs> you go down there. Is that what that means? This isn't literal. It's a figure of speech. Because Jesus never did that. Jesus nowhere in the Gospels moved a mountain. Disciples never moved a mountain. We've not seen anybody throughout church history ever be able to move a mountain. So that's not what he's saying here. The promise here is not to answer all of our foolish and selfish prayers. That's not what he's saying. Charismatics use it that way. If you just have enough faith and you ask and, and don't doubt at all, then you can have that Cadillac. And you can feel your wallet. I've, I've prayed that. Maybe I haven't. I've thought about it. Let me, let me try. Let me, let me pull out my wallet and open it up. I believe. Give me a thousand dollars. It didn't and it won't happen. That's not what he's saying here. What he's saying here is that through prayer, we'll have access 
to all of heaven's resources. He's saying here that it's, it's available to us. And I, I'm not going to dial this back. It, it's said here to shock us that with prayer, there's a promise that we'll be able to solve all our problems through prayer. That we'll be able to overcome all obstacles. That we'll be able to see the impossible. That there will be nothing that's too big for us. The only thing that restricts this promise, and you need to get this. Some people need to write this down. Because some people say, the only thing that restricts this promise is my faith. My faith must be big enough. I must believe enough. I must have no doubt. And if it doesn't happen, it's on me. I've seen people do that. I've seen charismatics go in and there's, there's kids there of, of dying of some sickness and look at the parents and say, if you believe, God will heal him. And then God doesn't heal him and the preacher says, your faith wasn't strong enough. Shame on them. It's not our faith that restricts God. The only thing that restricts God in prayer is God's will. We can't go to God and if we have just enough faith, we'll get anything we want. Like he's a genie. I get three wishes. Abracadabra, you know, I get whatever I want. That's not what Jesus did. When he went to the garden just a few chapters later, he gets on his hands and his knees and Sweats blood. And how does he pray like this? Father, I ask that you would take this cup from me. That's a big deal. That's a big request. You, you think Jesus had enough faith to get it done? You better believe he did. So I'm asking you to do something very big. But not my will, but thy will be done. The only thing that restricts the answer to prayer is God's will. We know when we pray that our God is big enough to do anything that we ask him to do. I know he can do the impossible. But I don't know if he will. It might not be his plan. It might not be what he wants to do. And we have to have enough faith and doubt not that we trust whatever he Answers to our prayer. There's an old Scottish hymn that says, Thou art come to a king, large petitions with thee bring. Since his grace and power is such, we can never ask too much. So that's the promise of true religion. Let me give you the power. False religion, what he saw in the temple was powerless. In the temple, there was no no prayer, so there was no power. In the temple that he just went to in verses 18 and 19, there was was nothing amazing being done. Lives were not being changed. People were not being healed. That's what he went in in the temple and did. He cast them out and he started to do wonderful things. And and, and he he started to, to heal those who came to him. In the temple, he started to do things that were out of the ordinary. There was power there. Before he got there, it was powerless. When he shows up, it's powerful. Because they wasn't praying. And they didn't have a promise. And they didn't have power. There was no fruit there. Nothing out of the ordinary was taking place in the temple. 
Nothing supernatural, nothing out of this world, nothing to make anyone say, only God can do that. I'm, I'm bringing some application here. Because in a hypocritical church that's not praying, that doesn't have faith, that doesn't have the fruit of prayer and promise, there won't be any power. There won't be anything in the church that takes place that people say only God could have done that. They'll have a form of godliness, 2 Timothy 3 says, but they won't have the power thereof. But true religion, and that's what he says in verses 21 and 22, will have God's power working in and through it. That's the entire book of Acts, and I don't have time to go through it. Just because there's a handful of people here doesn't mean I can go for an hour and a half. Does it? I don't know. Turn it over, right? If you go through the, through Acts, and I did last night about 2 a.m., I just said, I'm going to go through Acts and I'm going to read it. And I got to Acts chapter 1, and, and you guys don't have to turn there. But Acts chapter 1, first thing they were doing, if I can get there. They were found praying. And then you get to uh, Acts chapter 2, and they were praying. And power fell, and 3,000 souls were saved. And then, I, I, I mean, I just kept reading. I didn't read all the way through it. I read Acts chapter 1, and they, and they were praying, and, 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 and Jesus ascended, and there was great power. Acts chapter 2, they were praying, and there was great power, and 3,000 souls were saved. In Acts chapter 3, there was a lame man that come to him, and, and Peter said, silver and gold have I none, but what I do have, I'll give unto you in the name of Jesus, rise and walk. And he got up and started running. Power. Acts chapter 4, verse 29. They pray and say, God grant unto us boldness to speak Your Word. Two verses later, and they spoke with great boldness. Prayer, power. Prayer, power. They turned the world upside down, not with weapons of war, but with prayer. That was their power. On and on. And I don't have time. I'm not going to go through it all. You turn to Acts chapter 5. Prayer, power. Acts chapter 6. Prayer, power. Over and over and over. This small group of men turned the world upside down with prayer and power. That was the fruit. And the root was right. And throughout history, it's the same thing. I don't have to tell you about Jonathan Edwards. That they got together in the late 1600s, and it was him, young man, his dad, preacher, praying for an awakening. Praying for an awakening. Praying for an awakening. And it didn't happen like that. But early 1700s, there was a great awakening run through America that's still seeing the effects of it today in America. It started with prayer. We talked about Spurgeon, prayer and power. I'll tell you a personal story. I got two minutes. first church I was a youth pastor of my dad's here he knows six o'clock every morning every Tuesday morning we have a prayer meeting and the men of the church showed up pastor would sit in one seat and, and there was some some Tuesday mornings it was the pastor and it was me and then others, it was, I mean, we had a room full. There would be 10 to 12 men there. And we'd just go around the room. I mean, it was just, it was amazing. You'd start and, and he'd, he'd start with the man on his left. Nobody wanted to be the one who started, so we'd get in there and not sit by the preacher. 
You always want to be at the, at the end. So I'd be on the end right there before you. And it would start with that man. And he would pray. And he wouldn't say amen. And he would finish. And the next man would pray. And my, my dad knows he, he was there several of those mornings. And then the next man would pray. And then the next man would pray. And then the, it would go all the way around the room. Prayer, prayer, prayer. Every Tuesday morning, it would snow. And I'd call the preacher. We can, we're not going to do it today. He'd say, you and me, buddy, we're going to be there. And I'd show up and he'd pray and I'd pray. And it's just prayer, 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 prayer. All the way around the room. And I remember in a prayer meeting, in that Tuesday morning prayer time, when it came to my turn, I, I remember praying, God, use me. God, I want, I want to be who you want me to be. And it was in that prayer meeting that I, I, God laid it on my heart. You gotta go to school. You're gonna pastor. You're gonna preach. And here we are 15 years later. I'm not saying I'm anything great, but it started at a prayer meeting. Power from it. Wow. That's the fruit. Prayer, promise, and power. So let me ask you this. And I'll close. I, I hope I've explained this well enough to you today. The hypocrisy of false religion in the heart of true religion. If Jesus walked into our church today, what would he find? That's the question. From a distance, I think we'd look great. <laughs> I do. I mean, we got, we got signs out front. We, we, we got snow, it's been scraped, it's gone. We got bushes down the side. I mean, we, we got fences, we got church vans. We, we, it, we, we look, and then you walk in here, we got a fireplace. I mean, this looks great. And you walk in here, and the pastor's dressed, man. Looks good. We might not be full today, but on a normal Sunday morning when I planned this sermon, I planned to look around and say, wow, well, look at us. You know, we can't say that now. Look at us. I planned this sermon, and the notes were written out last night when I thought we'd have 11 o'clock service. And I thought, well, we'll have a full house. And we would have sang some great songs. And we would have took up an offering that, that, that would have been, you know, people giving of their money. And it would have just been a great show here today. People online would have liked it. There's hardly ever an angry face. Every now and then I get them and wonder, why is people angry? Hoping it's an accident. From the outside, we look good. We do. You walk back there in my office, and it's the greatest office in, in the world. Kids ministry is downstairs. We look good from the outside. But if you really started to examine us and look deeper, maybe you all look good. Maybe from a distance people see you, they say, wow, man, that guy. Godly man, godly wife, godly kids, great job, good church, looks great. Maybe people look at me and they say, oh man, look at him. Look at his wife, look at his five kids. I don't know how he does it, but he's got five of them. Look at, look at them. But what happens when he starts to dig into the leaves of our lives? Away from the show, away from the social media. Boy, we can, we can put some leaves on social media, can't we? We can. Boy, we cover our social media, make everything look like it's just mwah, everything perfect. My life is great. And when you start pulling back the leaves, you start looking a little deeper, what does he find? I hope he finds two things in your life and mine 
and in our church. I hope he finds deep down in our hearts, beneath the surface where nobody sees, that he finds a, a faith in Christ. Because that's really all that matters. That's all that matters. I tell my kids that, I don't need you to do great things. I just need you to have faith in Christ. That's it. That's it. That's all he wants. When you stand before God one day, it ain't about all this religious activity. All it's about is that you have faith in Christ. So I urge you today, and I know we're a bunch of saved people here today. All of you should have faith in Christ. I can't tell because you look so great on the outside. Man judges by the outward appearance, but God looks deep inside in the heart. Only God can see your heart. I want to assume that everybody in here has deep down in their heart faith in Christ. But if there's somebody that's online today that you don't have that faith, that you've not put your faith in Christ, you're counting on some religious activity, got in the baptistry, took the Lord's Supper, been a church member, tithed, done all these things. It's nothing but leaves. In the garden, God had to say, no, 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 it's not about the leaves. Let me make a sacrifice and I'll give you their skin to cover you. You must have faith in Christ. You must, it's your responsibility, you must do it, exercising your own will to put your faith in Christ. And I urge you to do that today. It's a command. Have faith in Christ. And I think if we have that faith, we'll have the fruit. People ask me, Josh, why do you, why do you preach the gospel so much? Because it's by the gospel that people have faith. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. All I want is faith in, in people's hearts here. That's all I'm after. I have no other agenda but to pray and to hope and to preach that you'd have faith in Christ. And if you have that faith in Christ, it, it, it's just automatic. We'll have the fruit that comes with it. We'll be a praying people. We'll have such confidence in God that we can ask Him for anything. That when we, we open up our prayer meetings, people are on their faces begging God to save people, to, to heal people, to, to, to turn our nation around. That we have such a faith in God that we can ask Him for anything, knowing that He can, but not knowing that He will. And I pray that when He sees us, he, there's great power here. Power in our lives, power in our church, power in our community. That God has placed us here, planted us here as a church. Seventy years ago he planted us here. I wasn't, I wasn't anywhere around 1950. So here we are in 2021. And I pray that we have fruit that blesses the whole community. That we're a tree that's not just leaves putting on a show. But we're fruit that people in Lee County can come and pick from. People in Big Stone, people in Kingsport, people in Clintwood, people all over Wise, Coburn, God's Country and Pound can come to this church and pick of the fruit of God's blessings from this place right here. That's my prayer and I hope it's yours too. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your, your word and what it teaches us. This is a hard study. Trying to put these pieces together and understanding what you're teaching us. And God, I pray that, it, that I've rightly divided it and then rightly presented it and done it in a way that would honor you. And God, I do pray that we have faith in this church, that deep down in the hearts of the individuals of this church, there's faith in the Lord Jesus Christ because that's all that matters. And then from that faith, God, that there's fruit 
and that we'll see great power here. Extraordinary things that only you could do would happen here in this church and amongst these people. That we would be a tree planted deep in this community and that there would be fruit that would bless the communities all around us. I desire that. That we be blessing in other states. And God, I think we are. I think we see it. And we've got men in Tennessee. We've got men in North Carolina. We've got men in South Carolina. Uh, there's, there's fruit. And I pray that you continue to give us that. And that if there's any hypocrisy in us, that you would show it. Show it to us. We'd see it and know it and repent of it. Like you said to Sardis in Revelation 3, that we would repent. So God, let us have the heart of true religion and not the hypocrisy of false religion. And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.